Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Broadcast. And let's see, there's one more button to push before we're on the air. Hi, thanks for joining us. We're ready for a great, great evening. Happy Mother's Day to all those moms out there today, young or, or middle-aged. No one's old. No moms get old, right? So uh, happy Mom's Day. We're really uh, thrilled for you. The um, Stacy is not here this evening because of her motherly duties, her little boy uh, is not feeling a little too well, not not ill particularly, but I think he just had too big a weekend with Grandpa. We went swimming, we did stuff, and and uh, he just uh, kind of, he just tired out, I think, plum tired. So anyway, Stacy's staying home with uh, William, helping him get a really good night's sleep, hopefully. And uh, so the soapster here has to be here in the studio along with John. John is here, though, and he keeps his company every Sunday evening. We've got to give it. Uh, where's, where's your applause? There you are, John. It's <laughs> belated, but, 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 but it's there. And he'll be taking your phone calls, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. And why in the world would you call in? Because we're talking about all things biblical tonight. We're talking about this old book, 66 books written over a period of about 1,500 years. Uh, just this amazing, amazing book that we have that we call the Bible. Uh, it's, uh, it claims to be the very Word of God. In other words, uh, and of course, when you say things like that, people always go, "Oh, you know, the, the word of God." What? Well, it, it, it's not simple. It, it's not simple. God has spoken. God has acted. The Creator has um, revealed to the human race, to humanity, something of Himself and of His desire and wishes, His purposes for our existence. Uh, the Creator has spoken. He has acted. He has given into time and space. Now, some of what He has said we get just by the things around us. It's, it's called general revelation. And we think of creation, uh, both the the big picture, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the whole universe, and from the big, big, big picture to the the, the tiny little atoms and molecules and uh, genetic, <laughs> all the genetic world. And uh, from, from the big to the small to the tiny, the Creator has revealed something of Himself. Now, some of you may have some skill 
Some of you may be uh, carpenters. Some of you may, uh, oh, I don't know, you may build other things, Legos, like my grandchild. Or you may even have um, some skill in programming and uh, building apps and building websites and putting together and creating. Some of you have some skills musically. You write music. You play instruments. Uh, and when you do that, when you create something, it is my understanding that quite often it reveals something about you. I remember my my father-in-law, my wife's dad, was a oh, he worked for I don't know thirty forty years for the for the government. He worked at uh, Pantex up in West Texas in the the final assembly point of uh, nuclear weapons. By the way, for for the United States and. He did that for many, many years, had security clearances and all that sort of thing. But in his spare time, he was a, an amazing carpenter and several other kind of um, artisan-type skills. Uh, he, when he was retired already in his 60s and 70s, he built a two-story house by himself. <laughs> amazing guy. And uh, we have a number of pieces of furniture. He had four daughters, he and his wife, and they all have furniture that he built for them. And there's no doubt about it that Pop revealed something of himself in his workmanship. He always left little messages there for his daughters, for one. Uh, but also just the just the skill involved, just the uh, the detail work, uh, the the design, the the just the accuracy of everything he did can tell you something about him as a person. And of course, that's that's what we see uh, in general revelation and creation. Uh, the the creator has revealed something of his own intellect, something of his own creativity, something of his own thoughtfulness, of his goodness to us. Uh, this world seems to be designed and created particularly for the human race, to sustain the human race, for our pleasure, for our provision, uh, everything about it. And, and uh, so we see uh, the idea of God revealing himself to all of humanity, uh, all over planet Earth, and this has been celebrated throughout the centuries uh, men and women seeing the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, the seasons, the wind, the waves. Uh, it, it causes us to think of the Creator and to seek Him and worship Him. That, that's that's cre that's creation. Then you have this this amazing this amazing consciousness, this amazing awareness that we have, particularly as human beings. This awareness, intellect, emotion, and will, and this this idea that the reasoning and power, the ability to think, to design ourselves, and to wonder and ponder about our own existence, the meaning of our existence. We we alone in in among the uh, in the animal kingdom, as we sit atop uh, the world of, of mammals, we. We alone wonder about creation. We're the only ones that wonder about right and wrong, good and evil. Um, we we wonder about a purpose and meaning and significance in our life. We wonder about beauty and art and and music. They're, these things are are ours. They, they they are. There's something that's been built 
into us. And this is that consciousness, that awareness aspect of our existence. Uh, every tribe, every people group that's ever been discovered uh, has worshipped. They've they've admired and sought after the Creator. They think of a of a spiritual dom- domain, a spiritual realm. They think about life. They ponder immortality. All of these are are aspects of God's creating, God's um, revealing Himself to us. Because as the Scriptures say, God is has planted eternity in our hearts. Uh, it's the idea that we would wonder and want and desire all of these these non-material, non-physical characteristics, love and beauty and purity and goodness and so on. It just doesn't make sense. It makes about as much sense as a person... Uh, being thirsty in the world where there's no such thing as water, <laughs> you know, it it just doesn't make sense. So there, that's we have creation, we have consciousness, this special awareness that we as human beings have, and then we have uh, the the third element of general revel- revelation is conscience, the whole aspect, the entire world of morality, ethics, right and wrong. Uh, every culture that's ever been discovered recognizes and uh, has a sense of ought. There are certain uh, attitudes, there are certain behaviors that, that, are, uh, that are shameful, that are wrong, that are harmful, that are destructive to the individual, to the family, to friendships, to relationships, to the community. And every culture has this idea of, of um, ought. We ought to behave this way. This thing we ought to be this way, uh, and and they have things that we should do and should admire and should reward in our culture and society should seek after, and then there are those that are shameful that are that are wrong that are destructive and we warn our children and we teach our children we discipline in our family and in in our communities in our uh, nations there we we try to shield and protect others from from wrong attitudes and behaviors. And so we have this this idea of right and wrong. Where in the world does it come from? It's not that we all agree about the exact details of exactly what's right and wrong, although there's a great, much more um, consistency and and we have much more in common in there than you would think. But, But it's not just every detail, but it's just the existence of that idea that there is a right and a wrong, a good and an evil. And where does that come from? Is it just something somebody somehow came upon? and uh, Or is it? could it be found in the heart, in the uh, character of the Creator Himself? So that's what we have, creation, consciousness, and conscience, the big three C's of general revelation. But even with that, uh, we wouldn't know anything about God at all if, if he didn't reveal himself to us. But then God has, we have what is called special revelation, and that is where the creator has uh, spoken, he has acted, he has involved himself in, in the lives of individuals and families and, and, and people, people groups, and he has revealed special aspects of his character and of his will, particularly his will and purpose for us as a human race and his design for us, his plan 
for us. And as it turns out, it is true. God does love you, and he does have a wonderful plan for your life, for all of us. The Creator, uh, we are not here just willy-nilly, just wandering, and then we've gone. with The Creator has us here for a purpose so that we can begin uh, in this life a relationship, a personal, uh, positive relationship with the, with God himself. And the, the overall, I, I call the prime directive of the Bible is, I will be their God, they will be my people. God is calling out of the human race throughout all of these centuries that have passed, men and women, young people, older people, every race, every tribe, every language, every every people group there is, God has revealed himself. And for those who desire him, who want him, who want, who seek after goodness, after immortality, after righteousness, and the looking and seeking after God, then God has made a way, a provision for us to be brought into uh, a relationship, an eternal relationship with him. We make that choice here in this life. There is a level playing field. There is no favoritism with God, uh, whether it's intelligence or whether it's race or whether whatever it is, uh, there is no favoritism. Those who desire God, every person who, in the sound of my voice, if you seek after God, you truly want his reign and his relationship with him. You want to serve him. I want to learn of him. You want to obey him. You want to please him and honor him. Uh, and know God in a personal way, and you seek after him, God says, you you seek after me, you will find, because he has made a provision by which we can come into a confident, secure relationship with God in this lifetime and on into eternity. Now, the reason I've gone into all of that is because that is what the Bible is all about. From the book of Genesis all the way to the maps in the back of the book, in the last book, the book of Revelation, it's about God calling out a people, God revealing himself throughout the centuries, throughout the centuries, God revealing himself and his purpose, and not only revealing, but carrying out in time and space, carrying out a redemptive work. Uh, and, and this was all embodied in an individual, a character we know as the Messiah. That was a central, it is a, the central point of the entire Bible is this this main character of the Bible is this Messiah. In the book of the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Messiah is predicted. The Messiah is, is, uh, we we learn about what he is is coming, what he's going to be like, where he will be born, what many of the characteristics of his life. Over 300 predictions about the Messiah in the Hebrew Scriptures. Those are the verbal written uh, descriptions and predictions, and there are many other that are uh, that are pictured. We have pictures of the work of the Messiah in the tabernacle, in the, uh, in, in, in the work of uh, the shepherds, and there are pictures that, that God has given us. And even in the, the kings and kingdoms that come before him, we, we see these pictures continually of what the righteous judge, the, the righteous king, uh, will be like. Everything is setting up and, and preparing us for this one who would come, who would live out a perfect life, this one human being, a male of the species, who would, uh, b- born of, of a woman, a male, a human being, not an animal, not a, an angel, not an extraterrestrial, uh, not a, a, a beast, but a human being, a male of the species, 
who would live a perfect life of faith, trust, obedience, submission to the Father, faith in, in the Father, uh, on our behalf, then he who knew no sin would become sin for us. He would become that that sacrificial lamb that is pictured in the Old Testament over and over and over again. John the Baptist said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's for those listening who maybe have never known, what is the Bible all about? It's not about just old stories about this battle and that battle and this king and that kingdom and this event and that. Now, those are very interesting, and all of them have a great story and lessons to teach us. But ultimately, it's it's not just about all of those things were part of a greater, greater tapestry, a greater story that is being told about God's redemptive plan for humanity. Now, so we make our way through the Bible every year here on the Bible Live broadcast. If you go to thebiblelive.com, you can find 260 Bible readings, 15 to 20 minute readings. Uh, If you listen to one every weeknight, Monday through Friday, you will hear the entire Bible, a a perfect, flawless reading of the Scriptures, a new, good, clear, modern English version of the Scriptures, the New Living Translation. We are blessed with many great biblical uh, translations and versions in these times in which we live, uh, with discoveries of archaeology and and, and texts and uh, scrolls that have been discovered from antiquity, we have we have tremendous evidence now about this book that we are reading in our own language here. Of course, we are reading the essentially the message and the thoughts and the and the the words that were written in long long ago uh, by the the authors of the Bible themselves. And of course, we think the author ultimately of the Bible was God's Spirit. As he worked in the lives of these, of Moses, of Abraham, of Samuel, of David, others, writers of these books of the scriptures, God worked in their life and in in their personality, with their intellect, with their vocabulary, of the times in which they lived, they wrote down their experiences with God, what they learned about God, what God taught them about himself. And then we have the advantage of their insights and the information that they gleaned as well all through those ages. We are living in the, the golden age of revelation. The God is, we have this these scriptures, the Messiah has come. Uh, the New Testament then picks up with the birth, life, uh, death, resurrection, ascension of Messiah himself. And what happened now over these 2,000 years since Jesus of Nazareth walked this planet as now we have seen the explosion of God's kingdom. People all over the world, as as David prayed in the Old Testament and all the the, the psalmists and, and others, let the whole world worship God. Let every man, woman, and child, every every country, every language, every tribe, let all know about God and worship God. And, and uh, that is what we see in the times in which we're living. But this book is still the center of our uh, uh, our belief it's the foundation it uh it is the what we can really test our our understanding of God and our thoughts about God on the truths if we think we've discovered something about God but it turns out that it absolutely uh contradicts and conflicts with some basic clear truth that the scriptures give us we need to rethink and go back and 
and relearn and, and pray and seek the Lord, and, and God will be faithful through our experience with him to reveal more of himself to us. That's, that is the exciting adventure on which we are embarked here uh, in this world, in this life, and uh, here on this program. Now, we've made our way through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. We finished up the reading of Second Kings just this last week. Uh, you can get our Bible reading schedule there on the website, thebiblelive.com. And uh, you go to that website on, on the title page right there. Scroll down just a bit, perhaps on your uh, phone or your whatever your your computer, whatever you're uh, logging in to the Internet with. And there you see the five readings for this coming week. We're going to be reading, continuing through the book of Acts. But last week we finished up the book of Second Kings. And then on Friday we turned to the New Testament. We went we kind of bounce back and forth, alternate back and forth between the Old and the New Testaments, the Hebrew Scriptures and the New. And we started up now, we've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and now we started on Friday the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. It's a book of history written by Luke, Dr. Luke, the same one who wrote the gospel of the same name, Luke. And Luke is a, is, as we mentioned when we read his gospel uh, uh, narrative, his gospel writing, that he is a, uh, a tremendous intellect. He, he writes Greek. He's he's one of he's the uh, only Greek author of the books in New Testament, non-Jewish author of the New Testament books. And uh, Luke uh, was familiar, knew uh, Paul, traveled with Paul. He wrote and and explained. Uh, the life of Jesus from his own sources uh, uh, and from his own perspective. So, Luke, we're going to continue now into the book of uh, Acts. We read chapters 1 through 4. We'll get to those this evening. We'll talk a little bit about them later on. But for this first segment and our second segment, we're probably going to ask a few questions and kind of try to bring together and summarize what we've learned, what we've uh, observed and uh, picked up from the writings of the kings, first and second kings. And that's a question I'd like to put out to you tonight. If someone would like to call in, I'd love to have you discuss with me, give some of you who know the scriptures, you've been in them uh, maybe many years, or maybe even new to you, uh, as we've gone through the writings about the kings of of uh, Israel and Judah. Remember, this this starts way back in 1050 B.C., Saul became the first king, then in 1010, David became the second king, and then 970 to 930, Solomon reigned. And in 930, the kingdom divided. The ten tribes in the north uh, took off after Jeroboam, and the two tribes, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin in the south, those are the two children of Rachel, if you remember, and the the sons of of Jacob, uh, whose name was changed to Israel. They uh, continue faithful down in Jerusalem as their capital. Uh, so the ten tribes in the north were called Israel, the two tribes in the south called Judah. And they begin a period of time of about 344 years, actually, uh, where the kings, this, these are the kings. There are 20 kings in the north during that period of time and tw- 20 kings in the south. The Kings of Israel, those 20 kings, they 
did not reign as long. They had a very unstable culture and society because they walked away from God. They left the uh, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They delved into idolatry and false gods like the people groups around them. And out of their 20 kings, not one of their kings truly sought after God and followed God. And so they they did not last very long, only about 208 years. Uh, but the 20 kings, and uh, they had very terrible experiences up and down, back and forth, and, and a lot of suffering involved um, in, in the kings of the north. From 930, they lasted from 930 to 722. Those are key dates for you to remember. 722 B.C. is when the Assyrians destroyed the um, the kings uh, and the kingdom of Israel in the north. And they took them away, uh, as the Assyrians did quite often with the people that they conquered. They The Assyrians, now their capital was Nineveh. This is where, uh, what was the king that, were, remember the movie 300, the Greeks fought against that king, I'll think of it, and we'll come back and get to that, but that's, that was the king. Their their capital is in Nineveh. And so uh, we they were destroyed by them, carried away into exile, and never returned, never reconstituted as a nation. We'll come back and talk about Judah in the south and what happened to them, and then we'll talk about the kings. But meanwhile, if you want to get on the phone, 210-340-9585, I'd like for some of you, maybe, if you would be willing to call in and say... Tell me your impression of the kings. What do we learn from these kings, from this period of time? What do we learn from these ups and downs of the people of Israel and Judah? I'd love to hear from you. 210-340-9585. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Bible Live broadcast from your your host and friend here who does not have a mom. I'm, I, I kept having to remind you. I grew up an orphan. I had a mom, sure, of course. And I'm, you're married to a woman. And, and I'm married to a woman who's a mom, and I have a daughter who's a mom. But I, I tell you, no one could be more dedicated and more faithful and admiring of moms though than i i tell you do you ever have a motherly figure I mean, I, oh yeah kind of fills that? oh sure i had that was what i was fixing to say i think i probably in that sense i probably had 30 moms i mean i've had a lot of ladies over the years once i graduated from high school at age 17 i was out on my own i got into a church began to worship and you wouldn't believe that those Little old godly women through the years that took me oh soapy dollar in and and um, you know I I usually have about three or four Thanksgiving dinners every every Thanksgiving because every mm. people really are so loving and kind and good so I, I mean I admire so much the role of moms and what they do uh, and of course in my own my own wife Suzanne and daughter as well they I've seen so I am so so happy that we have a mom's day. A chance to honor you, ladies, uh, and your role. Now, of course, and to think of think of those as well. That there are lots of 
lots of women and young women who, who long to be and maybe dream of being a mom, uh, a wife and mom. Others that are married but maybe for some reason can't have children. And, and we, we I pray for them today as well, the, the pain that sometimes they have to endure as they long to have children but cannot. But And, uh, of course, that's one of the things we, if you want to talk about the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, uh, we see we see that the the scriptures take very seriously that role of family and moms and uh it's a very very important aspect of most of not only the stories but the history of the of the old testament and the bible as well but anyway i do want to mention the national day of prayer this last thursday on the 6th uh, i believe it was of may we have we had a great wonderful day people around uh, all around the, the nation every cities, uh, little towns all across the nation, believers gathered. There were people who who know God, love God, seek after God, people of prayer. And there were prayer gatherings, special prayer events, of large and small, all across the land. Millions gathered from Washington, D.C., all down to all the major cities and, of course, uh, the smaller towns and cities as well. So it, it was a great, great day. And it's not really an event. I, that's one thing I like about the National Day of Prayer. It's not an event. It, it's it's simply a call to prayer, first and foremost by God Himself, and then even our nation's leaders. Uh, although the, we are like like the nations we're reading about in the Bible, we have good kings and bad kings. We have good leaders and bad leaders. We have um, in between. We they're all very human, no doubt about it, and very weak and and and. Uh, needy we all need god and so you can uh can know about that 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 you know we we have that same thing going on but our nation's leaders did have all through our existence as a country have called god god's people in the nation called on americans to go to god there's been an acknowledgement of god the creator in our constitution and our founding documents uh and and that is that is something very very special and unique about America the United States of America and we have this day on uh, actually days of prayer were they even preceded the writing of the uh, of the declaration of independence George Washington uh, declared the first declared nationwide or uh colonial wide uh, call to prayer before even the signing of the Declaration of Independence. But all through these decades as well, uh, leaders at different times have called upon our, our people to seek after God, seek His face, turn to Him in repentance and humility, asking His blessing and His provision for our nation. Well, this same thing in our days and times, uh, the National Day of Prayer came into existence back in 1952 under Harry Truman and then in uh, what was it in the um, in the eighties? It was Reagan, I believe, yeah, Ronald Reagan, who put it to a an annual, not only a uh, not only an annual event like Harry Truman put it every year. He made it the first Thursday of every May, so that we could plan. <laughs> uh, before that, we had to simply wait for Congress to uh, pass their resolution and the president to sign it for us to know what day the day was going to be on. So that's what uh, President Reagan contributed, that that stability 
to know it's the first Thursday of every May. And this past weekend, this past week, we had a great day of prayer. Uh, the pastors uh, uh, met. Uh, now, if your pastor didn't join with the other pastors in, in, in the morning of prayer, on Wednesday morning there was a prayer breakfast. It was so touching, so moving. Uh, the pastors gathering large and small, big congregations, middle, small, different denominations, all but they're worshiping, hugging, loving one another, encouraging one another. It was a beautiful thing to behold on Wednesday. But on Thursday, the National Day of Prayer, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, men and women prayed uh, all over the city. People prayed at uh, lunch counters and tables and restaurants. People prayed at their workplaces. People, uh, special times of prayer at home with families. This was, uh, this. it's about prayer. It's about prayer. But we always do have a a, a gathering uh, on at noon on the steps of City Hall is where we have been. But now since uh, City Hall is being uh, uh, worked on, uh, th- we've been meeting in Main Plaza at the park there. And it was a beautiful day and a beautiful gathering of prayer. Uh, just many, many hundreds gathering uh, possibly a thousand, twelve hundred. It's large gathering. It's the largest setting that we have been in, uh, and so we were scattered out all through the the main plaza. But there was a great, great group and a tremendous time of prayer. Many have come and said, "Wow, this was the best one ever." This, uh, as as far as that goes, as far as an event goes. Real prayer, all that we've really focused on, Suzanne and I, through the years as we've tried to help coordinate, is that whatever it is, that it doesn't degenerate into just being an event, just being, you know, bells and whistles and uh, lots of, we, as long as there is real prayer and we are truly seeking after God in his, his heart and his will, and then, and it's always just turned out to be a tremendous time. So thank you, all of you, who made your way down to Main Plaza downtown for that particular gathering. We're so grateful for you coming down. We pray and trust that it was a great time as we as we interceded together for our nation, for our state, for our city, for our homes and families and, and, and all the aspects of our of our society. So uh, let's just keep on praying. That was my part. I, my I got dealt out the part of at the end of our prayer hour saying, what do we do now? The first thing is we keep on praying. <laughs> we don't stop praying. Uh, we keep moving forward and keep following after what, being the people of God. So uh, thank you all for that. And we'll look forward next year. I think it's May the, I believe it's May 5th next year, 2022. So put that on your calendar. We'll, we'll, we'll continue this wonderful uh, ritual, this wonderful, uh, I guess, uh, habit, this wonderful practice of of participating in the National Day of Prayer for our nation. Well, let's go now to the Hebrew Scriptures quickly here. It also is about prayer to a great extent. Last week we, we covered all of the kings of uh, Judah from... Rehoboam, I remember the one who would not lower the taxes, and so he was—he's the son of Solomon, and he was—he uh, was pretty much rejected. And he, the the ten northern tribes broke off during his reign uh, down in, in Jerusalem. But from 
Rehoboam, Abijam, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Ahaziah, Athaliah, and Joash. We covered those early kings uh, the first about 150 years. And the big... The big thing that I mean, there's every there's something to be learned in every one of their experiences, um, but remember the tremendous risk that was taken when Athaliah, when, uh, when Ahab and Jezebel gained power in the north, and their in their influence extended down into Judah as well, and it almost led to the cutting off of the Davidic lineage or the or the messianic line, it, all but one. Uh, one of the messianic line was just was killed by Athaliah, and that was a young man named Joash who became king at age twelve. He was saved by his by the high priest, kept in the uh, temple there for seven years, and then uh, became at age seven, I believe, he became uh, was placed on the throne there in Jerusalem, and Athaliah was deposed. Actually, she was killed and deposed. So we read about uh, down through Joash, and the, Joash um, turned out he, he followed, kept following the, the leadership of the high priest and did really well, although in the later part of his life he walked away from God as well. But he is known for the, the chest of Joash. He put a special offering box at the door of the temple so that people could voluntarily um, donate and help restore the, bring the temple up to um, be restored and, and repaired. So uh, that is what he is known of. Then uh, in that same time, though, we had about 10 uh, kings in the north. It ended, though, with Ahab and Jezebel. And then Jehu came along, uh, and he was, uh, he was ordained. God gave Elijah instructions to anoint him as the new king of uh of Israel and Jehu did away with Ahab and Jezebel and their particular lineage. And um, so we got up to Jehu. And so that ended a great chapter of the kings. And then we move into the period of the, of the, the kings where they, they are caught between two great powers that are developing. First, there's Aram, the Aramean kingdom up uh, with their, their capital is in uh, Damascus, and we had Ben-Hadad, we had Hazael, and uh, and his son Ben-Hadad, and they they uh, put a great deal of pressure on uh, Israel in the north, in particular, and then you have Egypt in the south. King Necho was the one who was actually involved in killing young King Jos- Josiah. So we have so Israel is now going to be put in a pincer. They they're going to be pressured from the north, not only by Aram, but after Aram falls, they, Aram falls to Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh comes over, Sennacherib, uh, the great emperor of Nineveh, he comes and he conquers Damascus, and then he begins to put pressure on Israel in the north. Meanwhile, Necho and Egypt are putting pressure on uh, Judah from the south, and then along comes Nebuchadnezzar, and, and Babylon starts coming. They come on the rise. They conquer Nineveh, and then the Babylonian Empire becomes the great, uh, the great empire of that era. Uh, so, the t- the books we read this last week, the last part of the book of First uh, and Second Kings, it's all about dealing with that. Now, 
uh, remember, Israel in the north only lasted from nine, from uh, 930 B.C. to 722, just uh, 208 years. And they had 20 kings, and not one of them was godly, and not one of them sought after God. Uh, many, some of them were blessed, but we're told very clearly in the text it was not because of their goodness or faithfulness or seeking after God. It was because of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was keeping his promise to the people. And there, within the, the tribe, the ten northern tribes, there were still people, individual people, who followed after God, who loved God, who worshipped God. And, and God, for their sakes and their, their faithfulness, he protected and preserved for 208 years. And then they were taken captive by Assyria in 722 B.C. You want to, That's a key date you want to have in mind. Uh, and then, of course, the, the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, what's called Judah, they continued on, uh, but they were still under pressure as well, uh, particularly and especially from uh, Sennacherib, from, uh, from uh, um, the Assyrian Empire, uh, and then also later on from Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, where it ends up. And they go on to 586. They they endure another 135 years after uh, the northern kingdom is destroyed. They And, and what characterizes those years uh, is very interesting to see Judah because there, there were good kings. Uh, one of the first kings we uh, run into... After Joash, and you know the chest of Joash, I mentioned him a while ago. There's a young king named Amaziah. He was he was not faithful to the Lord uh, at all. He reigned for about 19 years. He was not faithful. He was disobedient. He was actually ended up being assassinated by members of his own. Uh, uh, I think of his own uh, uh, members of his own. But Amaziah was assassinated, and then Azariah becomes the king. Now, this is a major king that you need to know why. Azariah is also called Uzziah. Uh, and you remember the great prophet Elijah, in chapter 6, and Elijah's calling to ministry. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And remember that tremendous vision of God in his temple uh, with his train and with the 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 angels present and uh, singing holy 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 to the god and uh, the temple was filled with his glory this this vision that Uzziah that that Elijah had he had that at the beginning of his ministry he was called to ministry the year that king Azariah died now why would that be remember Uzziah, uh, Uzziah was a godly king he was good he, he followed after the lord not perfectly, but he, he had a very repentant heart. He sought after the Lord. Uh, he reigned for 52 years. And so not only did he live during a very traumatic and high-pressured time, and had to make really big decisions to, for uh, Judah in the south, uh, he reigned for so long that he it was a long period of relative stability and prosperity for the nation. And so he died, and of course, that would be a time of, of national trauma. That would be a time of national mourning, something like when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated or when um, John F. Kennedy died. 
in office, that there was a time of, of uncertainty in the nation. There was a time of weeping and grieving where well, the same thing happened when Uzziah died. And in that time of grieving, in that time of, of, of being susceptible, of being vulnerable, this young prophet Elijah, Isaiah, I'm sorry, Isaiah heard from God. God spoke and gave him a vision of himself, of man's sin, his own sin, and of God's re, and of God's redemptive plan, the God's cleansing and forgiving heart. Uh, that's what we see in Isaiah chapter six. So uh, that's King Azariah, uh, and it's one that you should remember. Remember that his name, another another version of his name is Uzziah, and then we see uh, Jotham and Ahaz, Hezekiah, Ahaz, uh, Jotham is a very Godly king for sixteen years, Ahaz. Um, he tried. He killed his own son. He burned him in an offering. He he went into uh, idolatry, sacrificing his own son to a to a false god. He dealt with Assyria. To try he he did a lot of he did a lot of negotiating instead of seeking after God and following God, and listening to the prophets Hosea, Isaiah, Micah. These are prophets. By the way. A a timeline that shows the kings and the prophets of Israel and Judah that you you can download and look at and download print it out and you can see then uh, the book of First and Second Kings in a visual on one page you can see the kings of the north and the south and the prophets that that preached during their different reigns and it's a very helpful page but I have not. I'm so sorry, folks. I'm still learning how to put these things onto my site and how to load them up. I'll get it there. I will sooner or later get it, and I want you to be able to enjoy it. It's a very helpful visual uh, for you if you'd like to find it there at thebiblelive.com. So you have Azariah, Jotham, Ahaz, then Hezekiah. Hezekiah is another great king of uh, Judah. Hezekiah comes at the time when Sennacherib, who has who has conquered Israel in the north, now begun comes down to set a siege on Jerusalem, and he tries to threaten a great example for us uh, in in as a king of Judah. In the first place, he goes to God in prayer. His immediate response to different threats and different events uh, that would that would be bad news is that he seeks God's heart. He go, He's a praying king, and that is really, really wonderful um, in, in a number of different instances. So read about Hezekiah um, in, in those chapters. Let me see. I give you those chapters. Hezekiah. Come on, Soapy. Um, chapter 17 and 18. Uh, we, Hezekiah after hearing of Assyria's threats, he went into the temple to pray. Uh, and he was pressured from the north by uh, Assyria and from the south by Egypt. And uh, remember, King Necho is the one down there who, from, from Egypt who actually ends up being the one who kills young King Josiah uh, two generations or three kings later after Hezekiah. Uh, Josiah is the grandson of Hezekiah, I believe. Uh, that's or maybe great grandson. I'll have to check that out. Maybe someone can come straight, set me straight on that. But Hezekiah, uh, and then Manasseh is a wicked king, 
and Amon is also a wicked. Isn't that interesting? You have, you have a good, godly, God-seeking king, and then you have two, for reasons unknown, probably the politics and the pressures of all these other kings and the threats and so on. I don't know. They don't follow after God, and they're wicked. Manasseh reigns for 55 years, and he's considered to be perhaps one of the most wicked of all the kings of uh, Israel, north or south. He uh, he follows after idols and false gods. He uh, he is the, actually the, the one who is said to uh, have killed uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, log in half, and, and killing the prophet. So Manasseh, was he reigned for 55 years, a, a terribly wicked king. Then his son Amon comes on to be the king. And by the way, um, Amon is also wicked. He reigns only for two years, and he's assassinated by his own officials. And then a young king, eight years old, uh, sits on the throne, uh, young King Josiah. And he is placed on the throne, and he follows after God. He turns out to be one. Something happens when he's a teenager, or, or perhaps up to 20, 22 years of age. He hears the Bible. Somebody reads the Bible within his hearing. They find that Hilkiah, the, the priest, finds an old version of the Bible in the temple, dusty and so on, reads it off and reads to him, and it, it, it nurtures and it causes a revival in Josiah's heart. He reads it to the people, and it spawns a decades-long revival in Judah. Uh, young King Josiah is who we're talking about. We'll come back and finish up with uh, the kings, finish out that, tell you how it ends. Uh, with uh, Judah being taken captive by Babylonia and King Nebuchadnezzar. Then we're going to jump over and look at the opening chapters of the book of Acts of the Apostles. 210-340-9585 if you'd like to call in and add your two, two cents. All right, we'd love to hear from you. Don't go away. on me she had it was a praying mom that brought me before God's question may have your first name please all right we're getting a little feedback there but welcome back everyone for our final segment of the Bible live broadcast honoring moms today thinking back on the National Day of Prayer looking and thinking about the um, the books of the first and second Kings um, kind of hoping to kind of wrap them up. I mean, it's, it's almost fathomless the, the, what we could learn from these Kings, the ups and downs and backwards and forwards, you know, see, we are Israel today, the people of God around planet, those who love God that have been, we've been brought into uh, the Gentile world now has become part of that people of God, uh, we are spiritual Israel, with the, the true Israel, the people of God from all time. And we now can learn, are we following faithfully after our king? Are we obeying our, the laws of our God? Are we, are, so King Jesus is our king now. We're a spiritual kingdom. Are we, are we trusting? Are we obeying? Are we praying? Are we seeking his face? Are we humbling ourselves? Are we repenting and turning from our sin? Are we 
Are we reaching the rest of the world? That was part of the challenge for Israel, for the people of God, not only to be worship God faithfully and, and um, consistently, but also to be a witness to God, to the, uh, to the uh, godless, idolatrous, wicked, corrupt kingdoms around them so that men and women there could also know the true and living God. And so we have that same task today. And so we can learn from these experiences uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, there are lots of illustrations and lots of experiences that we can learn from about prayer, about faithfulness, about the consequences of sin, of walking away from God. Uh, we, can, we can see those as well. And so the, the, the books of the kings can be very valuable to us, I remember in a National Day of Prayer uh, build-up, Stacy had written an article. Uh, my, uh, my co-host Stacy is not with me tonight because she's being, home being a mom to her son, not feeling too well, not particularly sick, but just a little bit uh, worn down and just needed mom tonight at home. So, But Stacy wrote an article in the Express News, and she does every year for the National Day of Prayer, and she talked about as much as she could. Her article had to be cut quite a bit. But she talks about all since 1986, yeah, when we first started observing the National Day of Prayer here in San Antonio. Can you believe that? Uh, and all of the incredible, wonderful things that have happened uh, since we began uh, praying in a serious way. And I'm not just talking about the National Day of Prayer. There is a movement of prayer in this city. San Antonio is blessed. There is a there is a cadre. There is a group of prayer intercessors across the city that a lot of folks don't know about. A great number of people don't know about it, but there are there are hundreds and hundreds of men and women who are truly dedicated to prayer. They believe in prayer not only as a private exercise but as a, a ministry strategy. They pray up and down city blocks and houses and housing uh, residential areas and businesses. And they make a huge difference. And, and Stacy kind of itemized over the years some of the great blessings that have come to our city as a result of, uh, as a consequence of, she made a good case for as a consequence of prayer, of God's people here in this city, the city of missions, the city of San Antonio, who seek God's face in prayer. And she really laid out, I mean, there must have been 20 or 30 things, uh, crime rate, economy, um, you know, job rate in terms of employment, the health issues, all kinds of things that she could document and show that uh, God has blessed our city. And, and, and it seems very clear that he does so because of the faithful prayers of his people, not just the National Day of Prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God's people praying and living as they ought. That is, that's the lesson we learn from this First and Second Kings as well. I want to go to the phone uh, real quickly, though, because we have a call, one of our listeners calling in. It's Franklin. I'm glad to talk with our, my friend Franklin and anxious to see what's on your mind tonight. Oh, God bless you, Sophie. Thank you, Franklin. Uh, I... I was hesitant to call in, but I, I, I have to call you out. I think you made a wrong uh, attribution. You said that uh, Elijah said that he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, yes. but it was actually Isaiah 
six. You very, and the year the yes. king was there, guy, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Yeah, it was Isaiah, not Elijah. I caught myself and corrected it, but but still, I think I I think you're I right. I, I I did get those two. I, I just read it for the Bible, so I know I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I know you're right. It, there's no doubt about it. That is that is an amazing chapter of the Bible, isn't it, Franklin? Chapter it six really of, is. Chapter six of Isaiah is just astounding. It, well, the, Isaiah is really the, hard. Yeah. But Isaiah is really hard because, you know, a lot of the prophets like Daniel and all, you get really straight prophecies. But Isaiah seems to go on and on and on. And, of course, he predicts the the birth of Christ to a virgin and everything else. But, uh, you know, uh, he was quite a prophet, but he's it takes some real careful reading. Isaiah is is a challenge to me. Isaiah is a a real challenge. And. I think the greatest thing that you get out of these prophets is that we get a little more detail. In other words, when we read about the kings, we get the political challenges. We get the military oh, yeah. the military challenges that, that the different kings are going through, both of Israel and Judah. But when you read the prophets, you find out what, what in other words, Isaiah pro, uh, prophesied during the during the time of, of um, uh, let me see, in the year Joash, of the was uh, yeah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, yeah. Uh, Isaiah, yeah. and you get, Hosea was also a contemporary of Isaiah, and so was Micah. And so you, yeah. get, you get a chance, they add the spiritual element, they give you a little bit more, not just the political and the military stories and in, in the situation, but they tell you a little bit about what was the spiritual temperature of the nation at the time of the king it's it very very interesting to know when the prophets exercise their ministry yeah it's really interesting too because like jeremiah uh, yes. uh, uh ezra uh, uh obadiah yes exactly. Uh, all these they were also contemporaries with daniel right it was in his last years but all these people lived about the same time Yes. Uh, the return of Israel from Babylon. That is an important thing that you, uh, uh, truth that you bring out there, and because we sometimes read stories in the Bible and we read them disconnected from each other, and and they never really are disconnected. Quite quite often, quite often they are contemporaries of each other, and so we need to know when they overlap and when one. And and other times they learned they learned uh, Jeremiah would have read the prophecies of Isaiah and Daniel would have known about the prophecies of Jeremiah and so on. and so these were connected so uh, in, in several ways but but what I, I think uh, Franklin is mentioning is that quite often though they were much closer in time than what we think we just. We we kind of separate them each of them their own story individually without relating them to each other, and that is one thing that this table that I told you about that I'm going to get posted one way or another on our website. Uh, you'll see that it'll help you begin to get kind of see the the, um, the 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 narrative the biblical narrative flow. You'll understand the flow of it a little bit better when you see the prophets and the kings. In there in this time chart, Franklin. Thanks for calling well, in. I appreciate hearing from you. Do you yeah. have something else you wanted to add? I, I was going. To, 
Yes, I did. Uh, one thing that people don't give credit for in the ancient world is the ability that they had to transfer information. Uh, you know, we look at, we have phones and we have the Internet and all that stuff, but these people, uh, through word of mouth and by actually walking and going places, uh-huh. uh, they all knew each other and uh, interrelated and interacted in ways that we don't quite understand, I don't think. I don't think there's been a really good study done on that. No, I think you're exactly right. It is somewhat, uh, maybe even the way news got through the 13 colonies. Uh, I mean, people people find a way. People find a way, particularly and especially the people of Israel, because they had a unique calling and a, a unique reason to communicate and to store up their 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 well, experiences also the people of the diaspora that had gone to rome and greece and and uh france and even england exactly uh somehow or other they all connected so uh, uh we we don't really credit the ability of older of the old peoples yeah. to uh pass and disseminate information uh, because we go so fast, we don't realize it. We don't give credit to their memories. Yeah. Something that has been lost over the years, uh, with especially the invented invention of, of the printed word. Yeah, you're uh, right. People yeah. back then, uh, they, they had to memorize everything, and they had incredible memories. That's right. Uh, much more than we have today. And so uh, it, it's, it's uh, you know, we looked at we looked pride at our accomplishments and everything, but really, it's not all that great. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I'm so glad you're bringing this up because it's a very important point. A lot of people falsely and without understanding, and I don't mean, I'm not saying necessarily wickedly uh, with bad intent, but they, te- they, see, they tend to thumb their nose at and look look down their nose a little bit at the idea of oral tradition that passed on from generation to generation. And, and you're exactly right, Franklin. That is, there is, there is a great deal to be said for oral tradition and, and and you can actually document it and prove it through written tradition that came even later is that you can see how faithfully it was, things were carried forward. Now, a lot of people have the false idea that the Bible was put together by a bunch of people after the fact, and they changed all the dates and times and so on. And it just cannot be further from the truth. And that's why it's so important, I think, folks, for you to, when you think about the Bible, if you ever want read a good book like Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, you can read, uh, there are a number of others as well now, um, perhaps even as good or better, but this is a classic book, and it tells you the process, the historical process that went, that took place for the writing of the scriptures. I was I was talking to a young uh, man, a uh, young uh, hospital nurse, a young male nurse, a fourteen-year veteran of the army, a great great young man, a dad, a you know, married man, and and talking to him about God, and 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 he had fallen for that that false idea that. Oh, the Bible is just a bunch of made-up stuff that people made up, and, and it just could not be more wrong. Um, there's a great deal to be said for oral tradition and its time and its era, 
and it's been and it's been proven by the written tradition later that every archaeology and other sources show us how faithfully and particularly and especially among the Hebrew nation uh, who had a very special calling in fact to to keep th- these truths and these experiences and write them down uh, later as it happened under um, Moses starting about 1450 years before Christ so anyway, thank you for calling in. I really do appreciate it, Franklin. I want to spend a little bit of time here now. We're not much time, but we only covered the first four chapters of the book of Acts. And I, and I, and I like it because, you know, we, as I said, the, the, the times of the kings, we learned so many lessons. We see how uh, Israel now, uh, Israel is taken captive and destroyed in 722 B.C. and 130, uh, oh, uh, what is it, uh, um, 135 years later, yeah, 135 years later, uh, Judah in the south, Jerusalem falls in 586 B.C. to Nebuchadnezzar and uh, under Zedekiah, the last king uh, of of Judah. And remember that date as well, 586 B.C., because that is the date that the 70 years of exile begins as well until 515 uh, that is when the altar is replaced and rebuilt there in Jerusalem when when they are allowed to return to uh, when they are allowed to return to Jerusalem from from Babylon uh, in five fifteen the altar is finished there at the temple so the, they usually date the the seventy years that were predicted and prophesied by Jeremiah about the the uh, the uh, Babylonian exile was 70 years. It's usually measured from 586 when the when the city was destroyed, the temple destroyed, to 515 when the temple was restored and the altar was reinstated. So 70 years. Now there are other other ways of looking at it as well, but that seems to me at least to be the one that uh, that makes the most sense of the 70 year prediction. It seems to be uh, uh, it, it fits the bill for sure. Well, then let's go to the book of Acts. Acts is also important from so many, so many reasons. It's a book of history now. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where you have four portraits that are written about the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah of Israel. And so we have those four portraits. And then Dr. Luke, the same one who wrote the Gospel of Luke, continues his work as a historian And he now is going to follow the explosion of the knowledge of the true and living God as the the coming of the Messiah marks a a huge leap forward in terms of what people knew and the the certainty and the clarity of uh, of the message. It's the same message that, that God welcomes people who love him and seek him and he is a forgiving God and but but it adds more detail now we know the basis upon which god can forgive this this great con, this conflict in in the in the nature of god there was a great conflict um his holiness and his righteousness there was a conflict with his love uh he, he loved humanity he desired that relationship but his holiness and his righteousness sin had its consequences and so it had to be judged, even in humanity. So we we were lost in sin, uh, under condemnation of a of a holy and righteous God. 
But then comes the cross. Then comes the Messiah, which is the perfect uh, is the perfect uh, solution to that conflict. It is the perfect expression of God's holiness and His righteousness as His judgment is poured out on uh, sin uh, in, in there in His Son, as Jesus, the, He who knew no sin, became sin for us, and God's judgment and condemnation fell upon Him. Uh, and he, he, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and, and, and he took the penalty of our sin upon himself. So God's wrath and God's holiness and righteousness is satisfied fully through the sacrifice of Calvary, uh, and his love is fully expressed as well uh, in that he did, Jesus did that on our behalf. He stayed in the saddle. He maintained his faithfulness to God as a man. He trusted God, knowing knowing who he was from God's word and from uh, by faith. He walked out the perfect walk of the Messiah. He really un- he understood that he was that Messiah. He understood that he had the ability. If he had wanted to call ten thousand angels, he could have, and they would they would have delivered him from that cross. But he didn't. He stayed faithful. He paid the price. Went all the way, as Paul says in in Philippians chapter two. He humbled himself as a servant, even unto death. And now he has been given a name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And so he has become the firstborn in his role as the Messiah. He's eternal God and always has been the eternal Son of God. But he became a man. He took on flesh and he voluntarily left off the free exercise of his divine prerogatives and initiatives uh, he voluntarily left off the free exercise of his divine rights and authority and power. So he and he lived a life of total, absolute dependence, trust, obedience, submission to the Father, empowered by the Spirit of God. And then, so then he became the firstborn of the twiceborn. He becomes the the Adam of a new race of humanity, the race of the of the redeemed, just as Adam is the race of a fallen, lost, uh, biological, physical humanity. Uh, uh, Jesus is the Adam. He's the firstborn of the new race of the redeemed. And just as Adam's blood flows in my veins and I am I'm part of uh, the life of Adam, the biologi- biological life of humanity flows in through me, through my children and to their children. Now the, it's the, the, the life of Jesus, the Messiah, the new man, the firstborn of the new creation, the new race of the redeemed. It is his life now that flows through us, his children, his people. So we are a part of the new race uh, and have been grafted in, uh, Gentile believers now grafted into those from the time uh, of the, in the Old Testament times, the times of Israel. We've, it always was, it always was a faith transaction. Israel has always been the most accurate, ultimate definition of the word Israel is the people of God, the people who love God, seek God, honor God, worship God from all time, from Adam and Eve forward even. Uh, But then God called out Abraham and created this people group as a model for us to understand his dealings with with God, his people, and also as the, the conduit. By the channel by which he was going to bring into the human race the Messiah himself. So uh, that that's where we come to now in the Gospels. And now in the book of Acts, we're going to see what happens. 
what happened when Messiah came. It, the, 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 true, the knowledge of the true and living God exploded across the Roman Empire. People who were lost in wickedness and sin and corruption and in confusion and chaos and, 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 and lack of understanding about God and so on. They, they, maybe many wanted God. And they tried to seek after him, but all they all they had from from the from the different societies and cultures were mythologies and and you know Zeus and this god and that god and false gods and temple prostitutes and all this it, it could not possibly have been satisfying, and yet here comes finally uh, out of Israel the the most satisfying view and understanding of God from the people of Israel. Finally, the prophecy is predicted, and we see that it's true and that God has made a provision. So that's what explodes across the uh, Roman Empire. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his disciples at his, when he is uh, ascending to the Father that you will be empowered. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to empower you, my people, and you will be my witnesses to Jer- in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is one way to outline the book of Acts, because that's what we're going to read about, how God used them in Jerusalem. He drove them out of Jerusalem with persecution into Judea and Samaria, and in the Roman Empire put them under persecution, and they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that sets the stage now, and it's the church that is born out of a prayer meeting. Prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit. Those are the two vital elements that we'll be studying as we continue through the book of Acts. Have a great week, everyone. See you next Sunday. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.